Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a podcast about all things fandom told through objects, stories and studies with a bit of silliness thrown in along the way. Your hosts on this journey are Dr Vivian Asimov, public anthropologist and pop culture academic and me, pop culture writer and journalist, all-round enthusiast Holly Swinyard. Join us as we deep dive into the wonderful and wacky world of fan culture, its history, the people who make it up and the way we look at this ever-growing part of our society. Fair warning, we may well talk about some adult themes, use some adult language and possibly get a bit nerdy about the whole thing. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That. I am Vivian Asimos. And I'm Holly Swinyard. And we're going to talk about all the wonderfully weird and fun and complicated worlds of fandom all through the objects that we love. And today, I have brought a thing. <gasps> a thing? Um, I have brought a lovely book. I'm holding it up. <laughs> <gasps> I don't have this book, and I want to know why I don't have this book, because I have so many others like I, this, Yes. But... So I used to have... Um, oh, I should probably specify. Yeah, no, people can't, can't see it. No one else can see it. Yeah. <laughs> This is um, so a this, audio medium. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is a book by J.R.R. Tolkien, um, which is Tales from the Perilous Realms. I know, not the book you thought Ooh, when I no. said J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Everyone was going for The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and if they were a nerd, they were going to go for The Silmarillion. So here's the thing. I used to own uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and a copy of The Silmarillion, as well as multiple copies of like the other books, uh, like Morgoth's Ring and uh, all the extra tales and stuff like that. And then I moved to another country where uh, (laughs) shipping books is expensive and difficult and heavy. So I did not, most of the books that I, you see behind me now are ones that I've accumulated here. (laughs) I'm sad for the books you couldn't bring with you. Which, yes, me too. And I thought that I had more waiting for me and I think they have magically disappeared from my mother's attic Uh, (laughs) yeah no that's fair i'm pretty sure that happened when i moved out as well (laughs) which to be fair i think there were like eight boxes of books so i can't really complain too much um but i got this book from my mother-in-law the very first christmas that i spent with my husband's family so before she was actually my mother-in-law she was just um and they knew that i was a big fan of tolkien that i had read the cimmerillion that i was a bit of a nerd in that sense and that I also was an academic and that I studied a lot of pop culture stuff. So I got this book for my first Christmas with them. And I think it really uh, both kind of helps to explain the kind of nerdiness that is associated with Tolkien um, and which I think really helps lead us into talking about the Tolkien Society, which I specifically want to mention my mother-in-law, who bought this lovely book for me, is a member of the Tolkien Society. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be very, very nice about them and say nothing bad at all. Very lovely, because very they're lovely full of people. lovely people they who are. buy me they're... nice books for Christmas. <laughs> to be fair, every fan club I've ever encountered, and I, I hasten that I'm sure the Tolkien Society probably don't want to be called a fan club, but I'm just using it as a general umbrella term. They're all full of lovely people who sometimes get a little bit intense. And I am including myself in that. Like, I fully accept that I'm that person as well. So that's fine, you know. Um, So there are moments with every single, like, fandom where you just go, ooh, oh, that's a bit much for me. I'm a bit more, I'm not 
Yeah, or you're that person. And I think that's kind of funny when it comes to things like the Tolkien Society that I'm not sure, like, how how they manage that because there must be some very intense people in there. I'm absolutely certain there are. Well, so do you want to explain a little bit? Because um, I didn't hear of the Tolkien Society until I met my mother-in-law. Um, so yeah. do you want to explain a little bit about what it is? Yeah, I can do um, that. And maybe if you have any kind of history with them or as them. Or... <laughs> you know this story and that's not fair. Right, okay. So the Tolkien You don't society... have to talk about anything. I... Oh, but now I'm going to. Uh, no, the Tolkien Society is essentially... And I, I'm sure they'd be really cross if I said fan club. So I'm going to say fan club because it is um, in in the terminology of these things. It's uh, academic based. There's a lot of they write. They do lots of essay stuff. They have uh, a journal uh, and they have like competitions, uh, awards to do with works around Tolkien, which is really cool. I think they're a, a really impressive setup, actually, the way they do things. But essentially what they are is they were set up in and I want to say the late 1960s as a uh, pseudo-academic group of people to talk about the works of Tolkien and to look at him in a, in a more academic way uh, and to kind of... There's a lot of meta-essays, there's a lot of uh, discussion about the world, the world-building, both in and outside of the canon. So uh, if we're going to talk about it in, like... A, there's meta-essays about, like, the doylian side of things or the watsonian side of things depending on whether you're talking about it from inside the world or outside the world uh those are terms that i'm aware that possibly people don't know (laughs) um uh quickly so watsonian is basically are you looking from the point of view of somebody who lives within the world the canon of the media i.e dr watson writing about sherlock holmes or are you the writer arthur conan doyle looking at reasons for things happening in the canon from like what was happening in the world so reasons like uh conan doyle kind of just forgot that he'd written certain things about uh sherlock holmes and there's no explanation for them in the text uh, and so that's the explanation for why it happened and the tolkien society does this in, in various different ways which is quite cool and i think really interesting uh i have a lot of respect for the tolkien society actually i think a lot of the works they put out there and a lot of the work they do with the tolkien estate is brilliant uh and they have gone a long way to making sure that the Lord of the Rings and everything that goes with it, all of Tolkien's work is is what it is today. You know, we wouldn't have the kind of level of stuff we have, I think, without them. They are very much part of it. But also they don't they don't necessarily like you asking lots of questions about things like why they don't like fan fiction. Um <laughs> and get a bit cross with you when you're very persistent about it. Uh, and this has happened on two occasions now where I've been trying to ask them questions about things and ended up with quite distinct radio silence. So I think either they decide they don't have time for it because I'm being frivolous or, or they get cross with me and I'm not sure which one it is. But um, <laughs> may- maybe one day I'll get my questions answered. I don't know. And, and <laughs> I'll be able to write about it. Um, that being said, they are like, they have some very cool stuff. I just think that they have to... They, I, th- I would like them to be more open about things that maybe uh, other people would like to know about. Uh, because it is a very closed, closed off group, or at least it perce- it's perceivably a closed off group to people who mm. are outside of it. So that doesn't necessarily mean they are. I don't necessarily think I'm not saying they're elitist or anything like that at all. I'm not. Um, I just think it would. It feels like there's a bit of a barrier between them and maybe people who are fans of Tolkien's work in a different way. Um, 
And that might be because I became a fan of Tolkien when I was 10 and on the internet and very much in the movie fandom, kind of like when the films came out, I became very obsessed despite having already read the books. Uh, The films were what really made me go, oh, this is amazing. Um, And when I then later discovered the Tolkien Society as a teenager, um, it was through the fact that they were very, very cross about the movie fandom and the way the movie fandom did things because it was predominantly a lot of teenage girls writing fan fiction about how they wanted to kiss Legolas or Aragorn or no no problem with it at all or in my case you know I'm just there going Faramir he's the best yay (laughs) um and obviously there were some issues with how the film was differing from the books and all that kind of stuff which which comes up every time there's an adaptation of anything ever um and so that's not really the Tolkien society that's more just fans (laughs) um but uh, there was some tensions there that I think maybe also because it being, and I want to say in inverted commas, commas even, early days of internet fandom in the uh, early noughties and uh, late noughties and stuff. Like, obviously there was internet fandom before then, but this is when it was getting very, very big and much more accessible to a lot of people. Mm. And I think there was just some tensions there that was between essentially almost generational, you know, like, oh, there are new people here and they're all very young for the most part. I'm not saying everyone was, but a lot of them were. And they're doing things differently to us and we want to show them how we do it, but they don't really want to listen because we're kind of telling them not to write fanfic about kissing Legolas. Um, Or, in fact, they got quite cross about the fanfic of uh, Legolas kissing Gimli, which I would argue is textual. So, (laughs) you know, like there's definitely supportive narrative in the text for that happening. But that's just me, I guess. You know, I'm sure somebody's written that essay. Um, but yeah, I remember in the early 2000s, that wasn't really a, that wasn't, ha- yeah, people weren't super chill about that. So that's kind of my experience with the Tolkien Society. And like I said, it's, I wouldn't call it a negative experience. I would just call it a fan experience of different types of fans coming together. I, I'm absolutely certain having met several people who are in the Tolkien Society that they're lovely, lovely, lovely people. I I don't know if there is a Tolkien Society in America, um, or if there is, it's 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 not as big. Yeah, the one I wasn't as aware of it. The one thing I do know is that they are in like little separate groups. So like, yeah, they have a name for it. It I can't remember what it is. It's something in Elvish Um, for each like little sec local section. So it may be that there are ones in America that are just quite small, or they just fly under the radar. Like, there's plenty of fandoms that like kind of fly under the radar because they aren't acting fanish in a way that we as people who experience fandom a lot of the time would recognize it like i kind of feel the discworld fandom is a bit like that as well that you kind of da, 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 da. oh suddenly a discworld fan appears like out of nowhere like they've jumped yeah. out of like <laughs> subspace and you're like whoa where did you come from you know uh and they kind of just appear like that and i feel like tolkien fans are sort of the same <laughs> you're like oh oh i didn't know this was what you did but cool um so i think they are yeah because i think if i if i had found it when i was doing my undergrad i probably would have have joined because um lord of the rings is particularly uh incredibly important to me as a human being Hmm. um but one of the many reasons why is that when i was doing my undergrad i actually took a course that was tolkien and religion because i was i did religious studies for people (laughs) listening (laughs) who do not know me personally um so i they had a lot of like weird classes that you could take 
Um, but most of them were very uh, kind of specific to a particular lecturer's specialty. So another one of the kind of small classes that I took was new religious movements, which was that person's really specialty. Um, but for uh, there was one guy who was a specialist in Islam. And um, no, I think it was he was specialist in Hinduism. Sorry. He's a specialist in Hinduism, and he doesn't work there anymore, but uh, he was also a huge Tolkien nerd <laughs> and really loved Tolkien. So instead of hosting a specialized class on Hinduism, he did it on Tolkien. I love that. Um, so it, this was, uh, I was taking religion classes for fun because this is something you can do in American universities. Um, and I'm a bit jealous uh, of that. I'd have liked and to and also this is this shows me as a person that I had the ability to take fun classes because otherwise I would have graduated in like a year. Um, and so and instead of taking like I don't know ceramics or like <laughs> some kind of crazy art thing, I instead was taking uh, my first fun class was <laughs> human rights in Latin America because why I don't know. This, this is, is who I am. This is why we're friends. <laughs> Because I would have also taken that class. I would have taken that class. And Tolkien Tolkien and religion was my very last purely for fun uh, course because it was that course that made me go, you know what, I'm going to just do this. And I switched it to be a double major. So that way I could actually graduate with a religious studies degree. And that set me up to then eventually get a master's and a PhD in the study of religion. So this particular class on Tolkien completely changed my life. And it was because up until this point, in all of my classes, at the end of it, I was writing and like the final paper would be about how whatever I was learning in religion was tied to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it was made for Every you. single time. <laughs> and it started to be an issue. One of my one of my lectures, I think he's still there, but he taught a religion, uh, a class on religion and food. And when I was taking it, he actually told me, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really happy because there's no way... There is no way you can write a final paper on Lord of the Rings with this. And you know what I did? Yeah. You went, bet, bet. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. See, I think- well, I wasn't going to, but now I will. Yeah. I really, I'm really excited that we're doing this episode because actually both of us have a very strong tie to Lord of the Rings. I think both of us, our first tattoos were based on Lord of the Rings. Um, we both have Elvish tattooed on our bodies. Yeah. Um, and like the Lord of the Rings is incredibly special to me. It's it something that I won't go into the details now but it ties me with my late father very strongly um and it is a it's a big deal to me it was my first fandom I suppose um which is why I think I've ended up in some slight I don't want to say scrapes they probably don't even remember me the Tolkien side there going who the hell is this person I want to talk about like particularly Tolkien in regards to fandom and this particular thing because and I'm really glad that we you know this is the one episode today because it's so interesting as a fan to look at these kinds of uh fan groups fandom spheres because they're they're very different and they're very much their own beast i can't really describe them as anything else so yeah i'm, I'm excited to talk about it like there's <laughs> i say that you know we i don't think we'd have had lord of the rings in the same way as we do without them i also don't necessarily know if we'd have had fandom in the same way as we you know i know that star trek particularly gets a lot of credit for being like this is what made fandom what it is but i kind of feel like things like the Tolkien society had like this really interesting basis particularly of the meta essays and stuff like that and looking at things from an academic point of view that 
a lot of the like the things like the video essays and stuff we get today on on YouTube and stuff probably wouldn't happen in the same way if we didn't have people like them doing mm. that. They definitely set the basis for that, which I'm not sure. Like it definitely comes from very old school fan spaces, like you know your, the fan clubs and stuff of the 1930s. They were all doing that. You know the the sci-fi ones. They were very much more kind of in an academic space because of the people who made them and joined them. They were young professionals. A lot of them were academics or writers and all that kind of stuff you know you've got your Isaac Asimovs and stuff joining those groups so yeah the Tolkien Society comes from a very old school form of fandom that has pretty much disappeared today and the fact they're still there is is really impressive so I think that's why maybe they clash a little bit with younger fans or uh, I guess fans of a newer generation because it's just different Um, Mm. it's a very different way to be a fan Uh, it's cool I think I think part of it is kind of tied to this idea that is quite common in that kind of um, post-enlightenment Western white culture. And I'm using a lot of specificities for a reason. (laughs) Um, But in in that kind of environment, the one that we both live in, it is very much this idea that things that are fun and playful are kind of more related to a, a child um and the realm of children yeah and things that are serious and important are not playful and fun and therefore are in the realm of adulthood yeah and i think that a lot of the approaches to pop culture in general are tied to this idea that if you find something fun and playful you cannot therefore find it important and meaningful and there's a lot of people really fighting to dismantle this, but it's a very difficult thing to dismantle. Yeah. Um, but I think that a lot of the approaches of the Tolkien Society might, I think that can give a little bit of an insight as to potentially why they see things that could be seen as more playful as something that, well, but we're serious because this is important work. Because the, Tolkien's work is very important yeah. and is very meaningful. I mean, it's we've talked about how meaningful it is for both of us. Um, and so the idea of somebody putting it down to me is insulting. So I can see why people would think I've got to protect this. So I see where it's coming from in a way. I absolutely see where it's coming from. And like I said, it definitely comes from that quite old school original if we're going to talk about origins of fan culture you know turn of the century and all that kind of stuff place where people were looking at science fiction and analyzing it and taking it apart and all that kind of stuff because there was kind of a weird thing of like oh comics and sci-fi they're for children very even Mm. from very early on you know when these things were you know I think we've all had that moment of being told that genre fiction isn't proper fiction and you're like uh hang on yes it is it counts perfectly validly (laughs) shush 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 um and that's that comes in very quickly, I think, because sci-fi is so, and fantasy are kind of ridiculous. So the way that Tolkien did sci- uh, fantasy even is by connecting it to serious topics, in inverted commas, um, Norse mythology, Norse lore and sagas and all that kind of stuff, which in and of itself gives you that thing of like how ridiculous it is, ridiculous it is to say that fantasy is childish because the whole of human society kind of ends up being based on myths and legends and all these sort of things which are very well, clearly yes. fantasy uh, or science fiction you know these things are if you take them and like you said put them in a more serious context people can't say that you're not 
you know, the thing you enjoy is childish because you're going, oh, hang on, no, 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 it's not. I've written an essay about it, you know, and yeah. I, I, I genuinely believe that's why we get a lot of what we get now with the way that fans interact with each other as well. Why, like, fans who maybe do the dressing up and the being silly and the kind of, uh, maybe the more childish elements get kind of seen as, like, the kind of, like, oh, they're not doing it properly because, like, oh, me over here making my video essay on, like, every single... Uh, game in the, the Assassin's Creed t- series is clearly taking it more seriously than you who's dressing up and that's still very much a, a, a dichotomy that happens mm-hmm. and I experience quite a lot as a cosplayer is that people are like oh that's a really cool costume like oh so like it's your like little fun little hobby thing right and I'm there like I cried for a hundred hours over this <laughs> ah <laughs> no you know um whereas like video essayists don't necessarily get that same kind of slightly condescending term of like oh you made a nice video essay that's great you know um, yeah but it, it depends on what level you're at that's true because in academia you tend to get a little bit of that kind of looking down on not that i'm still bitter it's not- <laughs> I feel like both of us just got really bitter from it. Like, you're not taking my thing seriously enough. Ah. But, but yes, I mean, as as somebody who um, had to fight quite hard to get anything that I was doing to be taken seriously by academia. Because like I said, you know, I'm at this university. I went with a, a, a lecture. This is as an undergrad, so it's a little bit less... I don't want to say serious because undergraduate study can be serious. But you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's not at a PhD level yet. Um, but even then they're kind of saying, why are you writing about Lord of the Rings? Um, you know, how are you even able to talk about what we're talking about and relate it to Lord of the Rings? That doesn't make sense or, or to anything. I mean, I picked Lord of the Rings because of course I would, but I could have done it with anything. And in fact, when I was looking through old notes, I found that I was drawing triforces in order to help explain an element of a particular theory, you know, to myself, you know, it's, I was using pop culture to help me understand what I I was learning. I think like people, I really like the the idea of people using comic books to explain uh, mythology as well. Like the idea of uh, kind of matching up things like Superman and stuff with like Arthurian legend and being like, these are two ways to explain two very distinct, like because Superman is uh, basically created a sort of a Moses analogy and like Mm -hmm. uh, it's from created by Jews coming to America in a very dear difficult time period and all this sort of stuff and he's super he is literally superman he's protective and he's helping them his name is kal-el son of god you know all this kind of stuff so like he is son of god no i'll get that properly translated later from hebrew anyway yes you know his name is jewish all these kind of things he is meant to be a protective figure for people who needed that at the time and that's true of like arthurian legend it's true of beowulf all this sort of stuff these superhero characters mm. are these very mythological protectors who are fighting the things that the people in that moment are scared of or defending them in some way being a sort of a presence to be comforting and I think it's really interesting to see those things linked up I actually really want to see someone do uh, a series or like an essay series on uh, DC comics and religion because it's fascinating Uh, I can send you links oh good because I don't and I don't mean like I get really annoyed when people are like oh Superman is like a Christ figure and I'm like no stop doing this please stop doing this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. no, but uh, yeah, because I, I think what's interesting is uh, one of the reasons why I, I left academia is that I was fighting with academics to be taken seriously. And meanwhile, fans, people like the Tolkien Society, like my mother-in-law, were super excited to hear 
that I had something important to say about Lord of the Rings or that I had something important to say about people who people who like Lord Mm. of the Rings and saying that they're not weird or crazy or childish. Um, And I'm I'm backing that up with academic figures. And I think the fact that fans really grab onto that in this way, you know, that other people outside of it tend to really struggle to grasp, I think is really telling about how this kind of fake dichotomy works. Yeah. Because it, that's this idea of, of things as being playful and therefore not serious is obviously not how the world works, but it's how we are taught to think that that's how the world works. I remember, like, right back at my A-level and stuff, people being like, why would anyone be wanting to take media studies? Like, what, what media studies? That's so stupid. That's, like, a really childish thing to take and all this kind of stuff. And now I'm like, God, I wish more people took media studies for this exact reason. Because if you don't understand it you don't talk about it you don't look at what people are enjoying why they're enjoying it you know taking in not just the text of the thing like the watsonian and the doylian Mm. versions of something if you're not doing that you're going to end up with people misunderstand you're going to end up where we are at the moment with a lot of things where people are misunderstanding and not being able to grasp fiction in the right right way that's not what i mean in a way that kind of shows the understanding of the author um and it's fascinating to see that people have lost the ability to kind of and i think some of it's to do with like binge culture tv and watching and all that kind of thing so like there's a lot of like uh streaming services that know that people are going to be on their phones and not paying attention and things but like there is a real issue with people not look like looking at media in a serious way and not looking at the people who enjoy media in a serious way or pop culture in particular Mm. because it's just like oh it's just eh. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, you need to understand this. You can't just go eh and like brush it off because it's not opera, it's not Shakespeare. All of these things, which were the pop culture of their time, exactly. they just Exactly, I was just about to say. <laughs> you know, it's like Shakespeare is full of dick jokes. And Shakespeare I, wrote for the masses. Exactly. He was the mass media of yeah. the time. And most of the writers of his time are doing that. You know, Christopher Marlowe's doing that. Ben Johnson's doing that. Like, they're all doing that. And the same is true of, like, Plato. Not Plato. But, you know, Aristophanes. All that kind of stuff. I've, come on. It's like, there's a whole play about how women are just not going to get into their husband's sex and everyone's got giant penises. Like, because people thought it was funny. And yet we now study that in classics. You know, like you can't just say that something's important because it got old, you know, because we managed to save it. All of this stuff is worth looking at in that same way, even if it's silly. And I think that is, like, I always think it's a bit of a shame that horror movies never get a look in at the Oscars for this exact reason. So much of human nature could be studied through horror movies and looked at through that. Like, I mean, the Hellraiser series, for example, is amazingly, like, it's horrible, but it's also, like, so, like, so deep into looking at, like, ideas of human psyche. And it's never going to be taken seriously because it's a horror movie. And that's that's a real shame. And I think the same is true of, like, you know, a lot of a lot of fantasy and science fiction that they kind of get that category of genre. You know, oh, they're just genre. And, and literary and, and media awards and stuff don't, don't take a look at them because they're not contemporary or they're not historical. Um, and I think we've gone completely off track. This isn't really what I was trying to talk about, but uh, it's really true. <laughs> I think it helps to lay down the foundations of saying that we kind of understand where the Tolkien Society is coming from and that it is serving a really important function in the sense that they these are the people that I was saying are helping to try to dismantle this idea that something can be both fun and fantasy and also very serious and meaningful and academic. Um, And, you know, these are the kinds of people that that we're talking about.
one of the things that I find really fascinating about the Tolkien Society, uh, at least the very little bits that I get from the outside. And and so I guess in a way I'm saying what I find interesting about my mother-in-law, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm trying not to, um, is their, their very complicated idea of definitions. Mm. Um, and I know this is probably the most dry and academic I will ever sound, um, <laughs> but I find it really fascinating. So I'm, I'm currently working on a project with cosplay. It's how I met Holly. And basically, my mother-in-law had just gone to Oxenmoot, which is the big meetup for the Tolkien Society. Which, if you're not a nerd like us, is the name for the Ent gatherings. It comes yes. from the books. So they they gathered with their Ent friends. Yeah. But they, no, they uh, they showed up and they actually wore costumes. Um, I can't remember what they were dressed up that year because they go every year and they go in costume every year. Um, and I'm specifically saying in costume because they would not say that they were cosplaying. However, after they showed up, they were um, they were nearby where Tom and I were living at the time. So they swung by to say hello and break up the car journey um <laughs> and afterwards we were having a bit of like a, a meal out and his mother and or his mother immediately was like oh you would love this let me tell you all about this because you would find this interesting and proceeds to tell me about their costume masquerade um in a way to explain the cosplay thing but then immediately was also being like well but i'm not cosplaying which i find <laughs> really fascinating <laughs> So it was like this fascinating endeavor. And every time that we're meeting up, I'm always like having really detailed conversations about what cosplay is, which really annoys my husband because I wasn't supposed to be ever <laughs> researching his family. Uh, it was a promise that I made very early on and it's being very hard to keep going with. <laughs> People are interesting. What can you say? But they're coming to me. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I find it really fascinating. And I, and I don't think that, it's the only version of this. I would, as someone who makes video essays, I would say that a video essay is a form of fan fiction in a way. I would agree with that. Uh, I've literally um, been writing a chapter in my book, which is also how we met uh, about this. <laughs> literally, my whole book is just this conversation with me being like, fans should be taken seriously. Stop not doing that. <laughs> Please stop. Please, outside world. Please listen to us. Um, Every academic article I write, like the first 3,000 words are like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> but like, honestly, this is really interesting because you're, you're not wrong. They're not the only people who do that because I remember the first time I went to Worldcon when it was in London. Um, Luncon, as it's correctly called. I remember being like, oh, cool, I'm cosplaying. Yeah, this is really exciting. Um, and I had several people come up to me and start talking to me about my costume and they really liked it, which was great. I was, I was super happy about that because I was cosplaying as Tintin which I, I tend to only do in sort of very different circumstances to normal conventions um but lots of people are like oh I love your costume you're such a good costumer all this they were using specifically the terms like costumer costuming all that kind of stuff and like masquerade mm -hmm. was very much a term they were using and I was like oh yeah, yeah yeah cosplay 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 and they're like oh no it's not cosplay and I'm like yeah it is I'm a cosplayer and I've met so many people over the years who would be super offended if you called them a cosplayer because they're a costumer and I'm like I I don't see the definitional difference here like you're doing what I do in exactly the same way but you're not 12 I 
And that seems to be so, the only difference. Is it's this is something that I absolutely love. So while I was doing the research on cosplay, first of all, I didn't set a personal definition of cosplay for multiple reasons. One of which is I'm not a cosplayer. So um, me setting a definition seems silly. You will be um, soon. I will, I will bring you to the fold. The uh, other thing is that it allowed for people to contact me who identified as cosplay that maybe someone else wouldn't identify as a cosplayer. So if somebody else was like, oh, no, they're not cosplay because they don't do this right, but they still identify it. Mm -hmm. So they are going to come to me. And it makes it really interesting because I have had conversations with people where one person is going, oh, people who cosplay this way are bad cosplayers. And I don't like that. And that's not considered cosplay. And then I'm talking to someone who does that cosplay, (laughs) who is defending it and talking about how it works. And um, so it it allows for that discourse, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, I'm the outside force that's just going, here's all the conversations being had. I'm stepping out. Um, I realized that nobody could see my face the moment there was somebody saying <laughs> this Holly is... had such a reaction I was like there is no right way to do cosplay no ah, I'm so like I was but like viscerally upset by that like no but it also <laughs> means that people like my mother-in-law would probably not contact me which is really interesting but and that's itself a really fascinating boundary point of mm-hmm. of why of why this is considered this way or why it's not and during my conversations uh, I always wait about halfway through the interview very important to wait halfway through for this. <laughs> and then I would ask the question to the person I was talking to, what to you is cosplay? And this, what is fascinating about doing any kind of anthropological research is that there's two different things that can be fascinating. One is when you get the same exact answer, no matter who you talk to for a question. And the other one is if when you get the same, like every single person you talk to has a completely different answer from each other. And what is cosplay? I have never had a repeat. That's fascinating. And I mean, I partly I think that's being somebody who has been in cosplay for a long time. Uh, and now, I was actually talking about this today. I kind of feel like I'm in this weird little bubble within a bubble. Because like I'm inside the community, like I'm not an outsider coming in. But at the same time, I don't necessarily feel like I do the same thing as other people. Because mm. I've taken to a point of like becoming more... Essentially, I'm researching my own community, and I think that puts you in a, an odd position. Um, and we'll see where that goes in the future. Who knows? But um, it's interesting to me because I have got to the point of being like, I genuinely don't think I could define it. And that is purely based on, A, being here for a hell of a long time uh, and going through various different th- feelings and thoughts and processes about it and this is not what we were meant to be talking about but it's still quite an interesting thing about defi- no, definitions no, but it is, in a way and the other thing is just i don't know if it can be defined because it has so it means so many things to so many people and i i am not surprised that everybody had different yeah. definitional terms for it and i and what is what is important about this and why i bring it up is because um what is happening is that my mother-in-law has a very specific definition of cosplay and that's not a wrong definition. It's just her definition. And it's just as different as every other person mm. that I've talked to who does identify as a cosplayer. And when you are, you know, so this Tolkien society that has costume competitions, but aren't cosplay competitions, it's like that for a reason. Yeah. They have these definitions and those definitions are important to those people. Yeah. And it's it that's 
it's fascinating. As as a scholar on the outside, I find it fascinating, but it's also really important to keep those in mind. Yeah, and because like I actually do think that the Tolkien Society, as much as my interaction with them as a teenager, particularly as a young teenager, was being told that fan fiction wasn't a thing, fan art, all this sort of stuff, and I'm like, except it totally is. Like I now looking as an adult at what the fan the Tolkien Society do, I'm like, that's fan fiction. What you, that there? And this that's just an alternative history. So it's fan fiction, or this is a meta essay, but you're going to call it a journal piece or whatever like because you're using academic terms but it's definitely something i'd see on fan law you know or there, there's definitely fan art like most certainly there's fan art but they're not using those terms um because it is either again because it's they're using terms that they coined in the late 60s early 70s which is fair enough mm-hmm. uh and within the society or because they are trying they there is that want for the validity of the whole situation which if you use the word fanfic and I, lo- I love fanfic and fanfic writers, but there is a certain connotation that comes with it. And you can't, just from life, you can't kind of deny that when you say, oh, I've written fanfic, people go, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think that should be the case, but it kind of is currently the case. So it's quite an interesting thing that they're clearly trying to get that definitional difference. Mm-hmm. Like you said, to be taken seriously. And, and they're doing... That can be difficult from somebody who's a fan as well because you want to find common ground. But from the point of view of outsiders, it's actually quite helpful because it means that they're sort of a bridging point between the people who don't get it, who aren't fans, and the people who are very, very fans. There's sort of this in-between thing that they can maybe understand. I, I would be interested to see how easy it is to kind of take my type of academic approach but as as just life yeah <laughs> which is basically um i i as much as i go on about it um in both my academic work and probably will continue to do so on this podcast but definitions are incredibly important to academic work we always start with really detailed definitions and we rely on other people and i i can spend you know 4000 words just going through different definitions of myth in order to finally come to this is why i've chosen this definition of myth which isn't even mine it's this person's that i'm using and you know it's it's that circular conversation i've read um, the articles but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that i take definitions is this is how i'm defining this in this moment yeah and maybe one day i'll find a different definition of myth or someone will point out something with my definition um, and I'll swap. Yeah. And my definition tends to be incredibly vague and incredibly open because I don't like very strict things because I find definitions something to play with. Um, I find them things that are very fluid because of what we've been talking about, because mm. you have a definition of cosplay. Someone else has a completely different, you know, I've, I interviewed, I think, 25 people. That's 25 different definitions of cosplay, yeah. all from people who identify that. And then you've got people like my mother-in-law. And probably if I interviewed 25 people in the Tolkien Society, I'd have another 25 different definitions of cosplay, all from people who aren't cosplayers, you know, identifying it as completely different in completely different ways. And not all of those definitions are in their own sense correct because they are correct for that person. And you should allow your definitions to be fluid. But I don't know how easy it would be for someone like you who cares very much and has a very strong, you know, emotional tie to something like cosplay to then have your own fluid definition. I guess I already do have a fluid definition but that's taken yeah yeah me a i long guess you were time. just saying yeah. that you don't really but I have guess, a definition no, for it, but, but it's taken me a long time to get there 
I mean, for yeah. people who don't know, I'm autistic. I'm shocked. Um, so I do... Anyone who does work like this is in some way neurodivergent. Yeah, exactly. Shocking. But it does mean that I tend to, when I find a rule that works for me or I find a, a thing that works for me, like that becomes the rule uh, and kind of stays in place. But because I know this about myself, I have taken a lot of time and a lot of work on my own brain and the way that I think to kind of try and undo that to be like hmm, I'm being given new information now maybe I need to f- change how I think and it's it's difficult to do I mean it's especially difficult for me but when you're given new information to be like hang on I need to change my opinion I need to change my thought process I need to change my definition it's hard mm. um, but it's actually I found it that you saying that and I think it's incredibly worth doing and I think in these situations when you ha- come across people who have a different definition of something to you but you realize like I said this is the same thing we're talking about the same thing it doesn't mean you need to go like oh we're talking oh blah, 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 blah. we're oppositional or these are different or you kind of just need to go oh cool so this we do this and you think it's called that and I think it's called this and oh that's fine no nope, that's fine you know you don't need to correct somebody on it or anything like that and like I said it, it is perfectly easy it's not easy it's hard but like it's a, it's a thing it's a valid thing to do to start thinking why does this person think this let me challenge my perception of why they're doing that so like i said teenage me encountering the tolkien society and being like oh they're upsetting my friends because they're saying that this thing isn't this thing and we shouldn't be doing this and all this sort of stuff was going to really struggle with being able to take anything that the people who were up you know kind of coming into our space and be like you're doing it wrong seriously you're just going to be like, get out, you know, leave us alone. We're having a nice time, you know. But actually then as an adult, you look back on it and go, oh, they were just trying to work out how to define us and they didn't realise that we were doing the same thing as them, but in a different way and da 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 you know. And so it's that thing, having, I think you're right, people should try and be as mu- as open as possible and maybe do the work to try and be as open as possible so mm. that that knee-jerk reaction of you're not being a fan correctly or you're... And I think this is part of, like I said, the big thing that I, I think a lot of people who maybe want to be taken seriously in fandom get upset by is you're making it us all look bad. You know, you're doing the thing that people think is childish, which means that we get seen as childish and we don't want that. Yeah. Um, and I think that is part of the problem as well, that it's kind of that thing of like, we don't want to be associated with you, so we're going to use different terms. Um, mm. Which I'm not sure I agree is a good thing but um i don't know (laughs) like i'm not here to judge anybody i'm just (laughs) vaguely thinking through the thought process uh it's fascinating and i think that i would really like to see again i'm sure there are essays on it i'm sure people have talked about it that thing of like why people define things so differently because of validity because of looking for a, a a point where it's like okay i understand this in this way and therefore you defining it in a different way is going to cause a problem i'm sh- actually you know what that's probably like all religious wars ever isn't it yeah okay you know <laughs> not to like make this really like oh it's really deep <laughs> not not that i've spent a massive amount yeah. of time studying religious <laughs> conflict but yeah maybe you know. maybe they're just humans being human and doing the same thing on different <laughs> scales <laughs> yes as as we always like to say humans gonna human and um I, I think the thing is is that people are by their nature incredibly fluid and because of that i think cause and i keep going back to cosplay but i think it's because uh when we first were kind of bouncing around the idea of talking about the tolkien society we talked a lot about their yeah. definition of cosplay and and how this 
mm. seems to be a point of contention. Because, actually, I have a little story about this. So yes. um, the last convention I went to before lockdown, so that 2019, uh, was EGX in Birmingham. Not the point, but it just gives you a bit of context to what was going on. Uh, I was chatting with a photographer friend there who had just been to Oxenmoot to take photos. They'd invited him along to come and take photos of what was going on. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't I didn't know they really did that kind of thing. Having my own experiences and knowledge of the Tolkien Society, I was like, oh, that's odd. I didn't know they would need a cosplay photographer or a photographer in general. I mean, I kind mm. of vaguely understood. No, he was like, oh, there were loads of people cosplaying there, all that kind of stuff. They don't have an issue with it at all. And I was like, hang on. That's not my experience in any way, shape or form. I've always been kind of told this isn't something they do, all this sort of thing. And now kind of hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh, so what he perceived to be cosplay was their costuming stuff. And they just really didn't want to use the word cosplay about what they were doing. But he still saw it as that because that's the the side of the fandom scene that he comes from. And, you know, there might be people in Tolkien Society that do use the word cosplay while Mm. others don't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, like, try to put words in every single no, member no. of the Tolkien they Society. They are all now. individuals. And... I can only go off of what, what I have heard and seen and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, so I, but I think, yeah, that's, it's, it's all this idea of like different perceptions and, and how they do things. And, and I think things can change over time. So not only could the Tolkien Society have changed their approach to understanding things like fan fiction and cosplay since you were a teenager, mm-hmm. um, but so could cosplay, that cosplay itself has changed in the last 20 to 30 years. We will not talk how old we are. And um, <laughs> and in that span of time, you know, your own understanding of cosplay is slightly different, which means they're thinking of it as how it was 20 years ago, which is not how it is now. And yeah. So, which is part of the conversations I've had with my mother-in-law, you know, she was kind of saying, well, is it cosplay you know, trying to stay as accurate as possible to this. And it's like, oh, no, people change things all the time. You know, I've talked to people who actively make changes. That's part of their experience of cosplay is making alterations to costumes. That's what they enjoy about it. Some of them do also really like being as accurate as humanly possible, but not all of them. So that isn't a thing that defines cosplay for the whole of cosplay. Um, And, you know, she went, oh, that's not what I thought, you know, but it's because of the perception and that's how cosplay was at one point, but is not as much anymore. I mean, you get that constant thing of being like, oh, cosplay is a Japanese thing. And it, no, Um, but it's because the word cosplay comes from Japan. And so people who would have been in fandom in the late 80s and early 90s would have heard this word first used in the context of Japanese fandom because that's where it was coming from and that's where it was being used. And so that's why there's this definition of all cosplay has to be like manga and anime and video games. And you're like, no. Yeah, because that was another thing. Um, You know, one of the early conversations was, oh, but we're drawing from literature. And it's like, oh, I've seen people cosplay from uh, Harry Dresden. I'm trying to put together a Dresden one. Um, I've seen people from Discworld, you know, people take from literature all the time and Mm -hmm. cosplay it, you know. I mean, because it's quite interesting, actually, because, like, this world is really interesting. I do think they run up against the Tolkien Society in a way that maybe people don't realise. Um, that the Discworld fandom, again, has its own very definitional terms. And a lot of that comes from the books, obviously, in mm. the same way that you have Ox and Moot and that kind of thing. There are things that come from 
from the, the Discworld books that, that make it into the fandom and people just are not going to get if you're not in it. Um, and But there are also things like the fact that uh, their cosplay competition, they now tend to, the conventions tend to have like a separate, what they call the cosplay competition, which is floor costumes. Uh, so when people are walking around on the convention floor, people, you get given tokens and stuff. And the person with the most tokens at the end of the weekend wins. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. And that can be based on any single costume they do on every in any day, or they can wear the same costume the whole time. Um, but it tends to kind of be that, like, there's a Saturday winner and a Sunday winner. Um, but then you have the Masquerade, which is spelt with a K, like the book, um, <laughs> where that is that is what I would call the cosplay competition. It's the performance, the costume, all of that kind of stuff all judged together on stage, right? And that's what I would call a cosplay competition, but they don't. And it's really interesting to see the difference between those because it meant the first time I attended a Discworld convention, I was super confused because I was like, hang on, I wanted to enter the cosplay competition, but that's the cosplay competition, not this thing that I've been told is, that's so weird. Like I just assumed there wasn't a stage one because I'd been told it was this thing with the tokens on, on the convention floor. Mm-hmm. And that definitional difference was like, oh, nobody knew what I was asking for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was fascinating to me. And I, I really do think that pretty much, if the more you look into any single, I think particularly fandoms that have a, uh, a more of a group core, where there's more of a community core, rather than like this wider idea of fandom, where it's like you kind of, all just mess in together um the ones that kind of have their own conventions or events or or, you know that kind of thing you are going to anytime you enter those spaces you're going to find that there's a hell of a lot of definitional difference i mean the star trek Mm -hmm. fandom has the same the um the star wars fandom even i know it's a bit younger than the others has the same um and i would not be shocked if the doctor who fandom didn't have the same like going to Gallifrey one or something like that if you didn't find that there was lots of definitional terms that you just didn't know despite yeah. maybe having done Doctor Who events in the UK or something but when you go to the big ones there are different definitional terms and I would literally put that on every single fandom that is like the Tolkien Society to have that it's just the Tolkien Society is sort of I guess the most well known of them to be its own little bubble I don't know it's a good carrier for this conversation, though, I have to say. It is. I mean, it, it helps that I, I feel bad that I've talked about her so much. It's okay. But like I said, I mean, I think that it also has helped because she is so kind and was so welcoming and so interested in what I had to say as an academic, but also as a person. Mm. Um, and even though I'm not a member, has fostered the communication about it and bought me a lovely book and... <sighs> And all of that. So, um, you know, I, I think it has helped to show the, the multi-faceted mm. aspects of the problematic, not problematic definitions, that makes it sound like it's a really bad, you know, <laughs> issue of a def- but like the, How dare the they? issues revolving around differing definitions. But also this this other side of what I think most people talk about when you initially talk to them about their fandom, which is, I found my people. Yeah. This is my group of people. This is everyone who's very welcoming. I mean, my in-laws love going to Oxenmoot. They go every year. Mm-hmm. And they dress up in costumes every year. They don't have a sewing machine. They do it all by hand. Oh, my goodness. Um, and my, so uh, my father-in-law made a big cloak that he did all by hand. And it's, you know... 
this is what they do yeah. and this is what they spend so much time doing the last time i was there my mother-in-law was um uh embroidering a, a talk about fan art uh she was embroidering um the tree of gondor and then a couple of words around it to put on a bag that said the tolkien society around it so she could bring it with her to tolkien society meets which are beautiful wonderful works of art and creativity and and they clearly love this society so much and i think that's also an important thing that i'm glad i have seen that side of it as well as what you say about it you know that you get this kind of balanced idea of the entirety of a group yeah. of people. And I think that is... I, I wish that I had seen that side first. I wish that I hadn't had what was essentially a, a formative experience with them as a, as a teenager and a young adult. Yeah. That was negative because I think that's such a shame because it meant that it has put me in a position where I'm like, oh, I'd love to talk with you guys. I'd love to hang out. But I, I'm scared to because I've had this experience. And the likelihood is nobody's actually like that. But it, particularly in online spaces, it's very difficult for those things not to become charged i suppose um and again i think there was a lot of stuff around the time when the films came out of people being like but this isn't what i wanted uh, that we see every single time a star wars film comes out um and as an adult i know to just ignore those people yeah as a teenager you're like oh you don't know yeah you're like i love this stuff exactly and i say teenager i was like I said the first film came out was I was 10. The first time I was online talking about fandom stuff, I was 11. I wasn't even a teenager properly yet. So like these are, it was kind of literal children kind of being told by adults that you're not doing it right. And I don't know if they realised that. I genuinely don't think that the people who came into these spaces knew that that's who they were talking to because how would they? Um, And so I'm not saying that it was anybody's fault. It wasn't. It was just a situation. Um, And I think that's kind of one of the things that maybe as fans, we need to take a moment to be like, hang on what's going on here <laughs> okay let's think about this um and i'm so glad that like i'm able to now interact with people who are in the talking society or know people in the talking society in a very positive way which is great because it undoes if, that harm if you are ever in a position to meet my mother-in-law i will ensure that and we'll nerd out i'm too. like oh my god it's so beautiful um and i because i also i think it's really interesting as well that the thing that is so prominent within the all these ones we've talked about is that you don't stop being a fan because you turn 21 you know mm-hmm. you know they don't you don't age out of fandom and i think there's this idea online of like oh why are you 20 something year old talking to fan stuff that's creepy and you're like is it because everyone here is 45 <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> i like the fact that there are still very much spaces for people of like all ages to interact with each other and talk about fan things without it being deemed bad because i am worried Mm. that there's a lot of people who do see that and so the tolkien society as one of those places being like and fostering that within it is brilliant you know yeah because like i said i mean it's been a while as well so you never know if their attitudes towards certain things have changed or if you just ran into the one or two bags and everyone else is like what are you doing man yeah you have no idea i mean when the rings of power came out there was some interesting discourse that i kind of walked away from i went i'm not gonna no no we're not doing that again (laughs) you know but what was interesting there was some of that discourse came from people who were fans of the lord of the rings films when they were kids who were then ragging on the people who were fans of the rings of power as kids and you're like oh guys come on did you learn nothing did you learn nothing (laughs) you know um so it's very interesting and i think 
there's a lot to be said for these kind of communities and I'm really glad that we got to talk about it and these ideas of the definitional differences and how actually we're all nerds doing exactly the same thing we just might have different words for it that's fine if you find yourself arguing with somebody about something that seems really silly start stop for a second and then go how are you defining this? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that'll solve 90% of problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that tends to be, like, every kind of discourse issue online is like, hang on, hang on, what are we doing here? Okay, yeah. How are you seeing this? Right, yeah. okay. Not all of them. Some of them are legitimate, but, like, a lot of them are, are a bit... Mm. I'm, go- I'm looking forward to maybe, hopefully, meeting some, some Tolkien Society peeps in the future and having a chat with them about all of this. I know that uh, Worldcon is, again, in the UK next year, and the Tolkien Society tend to have a relatively large presence there. They had a stand last time, so I'm hoping they do again, um, because it would be cool to go and have a chat with them. That's my takeaway from this. After we finish recording, I will try to dig up those photos that I have of my in-laws on stage. uh, As I can't remember. I think it was Goldenberry and Tom Bombadil, but I can't remember if that's who they act because they they're different every year. So I I don't know what they were this last year, but I really like it. It's cool. And actually, I did see that the people who won the the Worldcon uh, competition this year were Lord of the Rings cosplayers from the Tolkien Society. I think. Think, there you go. If I'm right. So they had they did some very cool stuff. Um, so uh, like I said, it's it's really cool to be talking about this stuff and it, and actually being able to work out these things for other maybe for other people because I think we've already had a, a billion conversations about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, if anybody is interested, please do actually go and check out the Tolkien Society's website because there is so much interesting stuff on there to just read. Like there's some the meta essays are they oh, yes. probably would be so upset with me calling them that I'm so sorry but it's the only way I can talk about them is that the essays they've written about it is uh, about the society itself about their own history uh, about Tolkien's works are are brilliant and there's always something interesting to have a look at and there's a lot of members that do really fascinating stuff if you're interested in the more academic side of things like I know my mother-in-law runs a um, old English class. Because, yes, that's, again, this is the type of nerd we're talking about. She's taught herself Old English and now teaches it to other people. I mean, Um, (laughs) I am not going to... These are people who refer to Tolkien exclusively as Professor Tolkien, as far as I'm concerned. Like, a lot of them are like, Professor Tolkien. And you're like, oh, okay. We're we're those people, are we? Right, okay. (laughs) You know. um, I refer to him as Lord. Lord Tolkien. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there's definitely a... um, I, I kind of love that sort of and I, I that academic side to it that kind of feel of like everybody's learning something new and I kind of feel like a fandom based on the works of somebody who created their own language based on like Scandinavian folklore and, and history and sagas are probably a really specific group of people you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> a really specific wonderful group of people yeah absolutely and the world would be lesser without them I think so right. do we do we know what we're going to talk about next week? Probably not. Uh, They'll find out when we find out. It'll be very exciting. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I've been Holly Swinyard, <laughs> and I've been Vivian Asimos. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. Remember to like, review and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and do give it a share. Tell your friends, family and fellow fans and get the word out. You can follow us on social media, links in the show notes, as are some links to further reading. Who doesn't like a reading list? We are nerds after all. Music for this episode was Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons Attribute 3.0. This episode was produced by Vivian Asimov and Holly Swinyard. 